0: Welcome to another episode of Christopher Hoppy Presents The Chamber. Today's episode is titled Horrors of the Forbidden, The Crawling Chaos of Lovecraftian Literature and Cinema. Now in his essay, Supernatural Horror in Literature, Howard Phillips Lovecraft, or as we all know him as H.P. Lovecraft, states... Children will always be afraid of the dark, and men with minds sensitive to hereditary impulses will always tremble at the thought of the hidden and fathomless worlds of strange life which may pulsate in the gulfs beyond the stars or press hideously upon our globe in unholy dimensions which only the dead and the moonstruck may glimpse." The central theme that all of Lovecraft's texts revisit time and time again is a concept of what I'm going to refer to as forbidden knowledge. Now, most of Lovecraft's characters in his stories and novellas are explorers, professors, and scientists, and they have a desire to achieve more in the realm of higher forms of knowledge. And almost always this forbidden knowledge comes at a great price. Now, in relation to this concept that I present as forbidden knowledge, um, to what I call Lovecraftian horror, uh, there's some device or an artifact that calls from a great ancient evil. Now, whether it's the dreaded tome, the Necronomicon that Lovecraft created himself, or say the puzzle box that opens the gates of hell and calls forth the Cinnabites in Clive Barker's universe, the Hellraiser, I'm going to analyze how these texts encompass some act of forbidden. Now, they all deal with the defining theme of knowledge that will be explored. Man wants to be tempted because he's curious by his appetite for experience to dive into the pleasures of such things. All of these Lovecraftian texts have a distinct sense of place, which is essential to horror. All are monstrous, they're unclean and absolutely forbidden. In the essay, Nature of Horror, Noel Carroll says that in the realm of art horror, humans regard monsters as is the disturbance of the natural order of things. A character's effective reaction is not just fear, but also a threat compounded by revulsion and nausea because the monster is something that is unwholesome, forbidden and whose very touch causes shudders to the bones. Now, in the various works that Lovecraft wrote, his monsters are described with endless bounds of infinity that would drive a man to absolute madness, even from just the slightest glimpse. And Carroll continues that horror stories are predominantly concerned with knowledge as a main theme. Now, in Carroll's opinion, There's two different paths that these dominate in Tales of the Macabre. There's a discovery plot, where a monster arrives unbeknownst to anyone and goes about its murderous rampage until a protagonist discovers that this monster is responsible for such carnage. And then the other path the reader can venture down is what's known as the overreacher plot, which deals with a protagonist who embarks on a pursuit of hidden, unholy, or forbidden knowledge. A figure brings a corpse to life, or a malevolent power that is unleashed to destroy the figure and his world. Now, Lovecraft's stories venture down both paths many times, and they're filled with eldritch dread of what he described as cosmic horror. Now, Lovecraft continues in his essay the horror tale, is as old as human thought and speech themselves, and his cosmic terror appears as an ingredient of the earliest folklore of all races and is crystallized in the most archaic ballads, chronicles, and sacred writings. His description of a sense of place to this relation of his tales echoes uh, Noel Carroll's concept that a geography of the monster is one of the most essential elements to the nature of the horror story. Lovecraft continues, a certain atmosphere of breathless and unexplained dread of outer unknown forces must be present, and there must be a hint, expressed with a seriousness, becoming its subject, of the most terrible conception of the human brain a malign particular suspension or defeat of those fixed laws of nature which are our only safeguard against the assaults of chaos and the demons of unplumbed space. Now, according to Carol, monsters are native to places that are unknown to the human world. They come from places that are hidden by or abandoned like graveyards, ancient houses, or ruins under the sea. Now, monster existing in such places or argue that monsters belong to the environment outside of and unknown to ordinary social life. And more importantly, that we could interpret this geography of horror as a figurative spatialization of a notion that of what horrifies us, in fact, that which lies outside cultural categories and is in fact unknown. Now, let's look at one of Lovecraft's best-known short horror stories, The Dunwich Horror. It definitely fits the criteria that both Lovecraft and Carol have laid out. Um, Here's a brief synopsis of The Dunwich Horror if you're not familiar with it. So, curious things are occurring in Dunwich over centuries. They involve witchcraft, archaic rites, on a place called Sentinel Hill, where bones and skulls lay near the table like a rock. Now, the mother, Lavinia Watley gave birth to a son named Wilbur, and he has a strange goat-like appearance, and he has the, the ability to grow, at an alarming rate of intelligence but also growth. Now, when Wilbur is a grown man, he begins his quest to track down the complete vile text, the already mentioned the Necronomicon, and he wants to use this so he can get its intentations and magic to continue the work that his grandfather started. Now, Wilbur learns that there's a complete version that's under lock and key at Miskatonic University in the city of Arkham, Massachusetts, where Lovecraft's fictional universe centers around. The librarian, Armitage, keeps a watchful eye over Wilbur while he also reads the horrid information contained in the pages. Now, Wilbur wants to take the book with him, but Armitage refuses. Later that night, Wilbur is torn apart by the university's watchdog, but Armitage discovers that Wilbur is only partly humid, but the rest of his body is vastly grotesque. And Armitage goes in the town of Danos to investigate the further murders that are plaguing the town. And by coming across Wilbur's own diary and the knowledge of a spell in the Necronomicon, Armitage is able to create a powder that'll send the horrid creature back to its own plane of existence, saving the human race from their ignorance of not even knowing what had happened. Now, things that make this such a great tale of cosmic horror is what made Lovecraft such a great writer in how he describes the town of Dunwich, to make it seem like it was an actual place of existence. Now, again, to reference what Carol says, this concept of geography of the monster and Lovecraft's own concept of stressing cosmic horror through atmospheric places like the town of Dunwich, they exist somewhere outside of social ordinary life. Um, At the very beginning, Lovecraft describes Dunwich. He calls it outsiders visit dungeon as seldom as possible And since a certain season of horror, all the signboards pining toward it have been taken down. The scenery, judged by any ordinary aesthetic canon, is more than commonly beautiful, yet there is no influx of artists or summer tourists. Two centuries ago, when talk of witch blood, Satan worship, and strange forest presences was not laughed at, it was the custom to give reasons for avoiding the locality. In our sensible age, since the Dunwich Horror takes place in 1928, was hushed up by those who had the town and the world's welfare at heart, people shun it without knowing exactly why. Plus, there were ways in which he describes what is left of the remains of Wilbur Watley as a truly unclean monster. The skin was thickly covered with coarse black fur, and from the abdomen a score of long greenish-gray tentacles with red, sucking mouths protruded limply. Their arrangement was odd, and yet seemed to follow the symmetries of some cosmic geometry unknown to Earth or the solar system. Now, as I've already mentioned, a defining thread that links all of H.P. Lovecraft's stories is that his maligned, unholy monsters hearken back to a more antiquarian vision of New England, which is haunted by an evil past. His monsters are known as the Great Old Ones. They lie between dimensions waiting for, when the stars are right, they could plunge from world to world through the sky. But when the stars were wrong, they could not live. Although they no longer lived, they would never really die. Now, one of Lovecraft's biggest influences was Edgar Allan Poe, and his work is similar in the writings, and he holds a great regard to Poe. Lovecraft says of Poe, He studied the human mind rather than the usages of Gothic fiction and worked with the analytical knowledge of terror's true sources, which doubled the force of his narratives and emancipated him from the absurdities inherent in merely conventional shutter coining. Truly, it may be said that Poe invented the short story in its present form. Poe's elevation of disease, perversity, and decay to the level of artistically expressible themes was likewise indefinitely far-reaching in effect. Now, both authors' work come off as very academic to the modern mind of horror, especially in relation to horror films. What was frightening to audiences of the era of Poe and Lovecraft has in a sense become more visceral as the decades have progressed to the modern era. However, I would still argue that the heart of horror is still related to something that involves the fear of the unknown, or something that is forbidden, or taboo. The style of Lovecraft's writings they're historically challenging to filmmakers. And when trying to adapt this work from the page to screen, the mantra of a film is to show and not tell. Film works on two principles. What a, see or see, a viewer sees and hears. Now many Lovecraft's stories are far more internal where the horror is left to the reader's imagination. The most important reason for this was that Lovecraft's work brims with so much atmosphere of description of eldritch monsters that are given implied details. Therefore, each medium does add a different aesthetic dimension to the workings of horror. But however, at the heart, there is still the essential mechanics of telling a story that horror comes from the oral tradition of storytelling, and that we remember being children, sitting around a campfire at night, listening intently to a horror story.